Okay, thank you so much. Um, what can I say? Anyway, probably better say nothing, really. Uh, so, good to be with you again in Central this afternoon. And uh, at the minute, it was really kind of fortunate the way things worked out, because you're on the same themes we're on. For the last uh, year, up uh, on the Carn Money Road site, we've been in a series uh, which is entitled Seasons, and we've been walking through the Christian year. Right now, we're in Easter, um, because Easter isn't a day, it's actually a season, and so we're coming near the end of this, the sixth Sunday of Easter today, and you're on, you've been on the same themes as we have, so it really is cool, because what we've been thinking about at 9.30 and 11 this morning, half six tonight, you're doing it half four this afternoon, so that's why I'm here. Um, so it's really good to be with you. Pray that God will bless us as we fellowship. I need to read um, from John chapter 14. I'm going to break into that chapter at the 15th verse. This is Jesus with a group of his disciples in a rather intimate kind of setting. And uh, they're having a conversation. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what what my father has commanded me. And ending at verse 31, the Lord will bless his truth to our hearts for Christ's sake. Amen. A long time ago, I came across a book which contained a collection of sermons which were preached by a 19th century Scottish minister called Charles Ross. And these sermons were collected into a book. The sermons were a series of sermons on John chapters 13 to 17. And when they looked for a title for that book to sort of set the scene, set the tone for the nature of those sermons and what those chapters of John were about, they chose this title, The Inner Sanctuary. 
And I've always found that to be a haunting kind of title for that book. That in these chapters from which our sermons have been drawn last Sunday, today, and actually next Sunday as well, that particular set of chapters in the middle of John's gospel, in these chapters we hear and see intimate things. If you read them, you you get that sense of the conversation. Jesus talks very personally, very intimately to the disciples, and none more so than in the verses we've just read from John chapter 14, a minute or two ago. By the way, I did notice that you can buy that book for 99p for the Kindle on Amazon, but that's another story. In these verses that we've just read, we see something in God that we only see pale glimpses of in this world. I'm reading the book at the moment, uh, which is called The Boy Who Followed His Father Into Auschwitz. And it's written by a guy called Jeremy Dronfield, who's a um, journalist. And the book tells the true story of Gustav and Fritz Kleinman. Gustav was a decorated Viennese war veteran from the First World War, who, when the Second World War started and uh, Austria became part of the Nazi empire, found himself and his son arrested because they were Jews and taken off to a prison camp in Buchenwald. They entered the prison camp on the 2nd of October 1939, and they didn't get released from the grip of the Nazis until the end of the war and the liberation of the internment camps. And the book tells the story of how they survived unspeakable conditions, Uh, during those years together. And uh, Gustav, by the time he got released, uh, eventually they went from Buchenwald to Auschwitz Auschwitz and Auschwitz to a series of other camps. Um, He was in his late 50s. Virtually nobody survived, certainly not in Auschwitz, until your late 50s. It's an incredible story. And the title of the book comes from an incident in their lives, which was that when they were arrested and taken to Buchenwald, they spent a couple of years there. And during their time there, Fritz Gustav's son had the opportunity uh, to train as a bricklayer. And the opportunity to do that effectively was going to save his life. Because the German war machine was constantly constructing things, they used slave labor by and large to do it. And if you had specific skills, you were really useful. And this would mean that the young man would have a strong chance of surviving. His father would probably ultimately either die or be shot or be sent off to the gas chambers. About two years into the story at Buchenwald, uh, the Nazis decided to move most of the prisoners, Jewish prisoners, from there to Auschwitz. And... uh, Fritz's dad was scheduled to leave. And uh, Fritz was determined that he should go wherever his father was. And so he went to the camp commandant, which was a really dodgy thing to do. And he said, I need to go with my father. And everybody said to him, don't do it. His own father said to him, don't do it. Look, you've got to forget about your dad. If you value your own life, if you want to survive this war and live beyond it, you need to stay here and you need to let your father go. But Fritz refused And he was eventually given permission and he went with his dad to Auschwitz and stayed with his dad for the rest of the war. They both survived. The author writing about how it was that this happened says this, luck and courage played a part, but what ultimately kept Gustav and Fritz living was their love and devotion to each other. The boy is my greatest joy, Gustav wrote in his secret diary in Buchenwald 
We strengthen each other. We are one, inseparable. What you see glimpses of in that relationship between that father and son is something you just heard Jesus speak about in a much, much deeper and more profound and eternal way in those verses that we read a moment or two ago about the reality which exists in the life of, the, of, of our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Speaking about what is about to happen to him, Jesus said this in the verses we read, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. There is a deep, beautiful, breathtaking intimacy in God between the Father and the Son. And into that intimacy, which Jesus describes in these verses, he talks about his Father and himself and the Holy Spirit, into this intimacy which already exists in the Trinity, Jesus is now inviting his disciples He says, on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus is inviting the disciples into the intimacy he already shares with his Father. And this will become possible through the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Another advocate. What on earth is an advocate? Well, it's often asserted that this is a legal term, and it indicates the defense lawyer in a court of law, a professional person who speaks up for you in your defense And there is no doubt about it that the word paraclete, which is the the, the Greek word which is translated advocate here, can have that legal significance. But several of the commentators who look at this passage point out that the verb from which that noun comes, okay, would suggest something a little bit more like the way N.T. Wright translates that verse. This is John 14, 16 as he translates it. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever. The root idea of the word is to help, which is why on the sixth Sunday of Easter, we are thinking about how the Holy Spirit helps us live the resurrection life of Jesus. And in this passage, we discover that he does that in two ways. First way in which the Holy Spirit helps us to live the resurrection life is because he is beside us. In Genesis chapter 2, right at the very beginning of Scripture, a great need is revealed in human existence. Genesis chapter 2 verse 20, it says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And that verse provides the context for the beautiful story which follows, where God And the storyteller says, God puts the man to sleep. He removes some material from the man's side. And from the material that he removes, he forms woman. He forms a helper for him. Someone who would be beside him. 
And one of the basic ideas of the verb from which paraclete comes, this word advocate that we're talking about here, this idea of helper, one of the root ideas of that verb is to comfort or strengthen. Which is the very thing that in that quote I made a moment or two ago, Gustav said about his son Fritz. He said, he said, we strengthen each other. Just being together through the horrors that they faced, through the work details where they had to carry unbelievable loads all day, whipped and scourged by capos who were chasing them from dawn to dusk. Just the fact that they did it together strengthened them to keep going. And that's exactly the idea we have here about the Holy Spirit, who is alongside us. And sometimes someone just being alongside you is enough. I try to ride a bike, not that good at it. But I do notice something about my times on Strava. I notice that invariably they're better when I ride with someone else. Not because that other person has their hand on my back pushing me along. I hasten to add, okay. But just because there's two people there. Somehow or another, your legs seem to be able to pedal harder. Somehow or another, the road isn't just so long. Somehow or another, the gradient isn't just as steep as it seems when you're doing it on your own with no one else there. Someone else alongside you strengthens you. So how does the Holy Spirit come alongside us? The answer in what Jesus says here is that he comes alongside in memory and in fresh revelation. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, the one the Father will send in my name, he will teach you everything. He will bring back to your mind everything I've said to you. This text that we're looking at in John chapter 14, that text itself is an example of what the Holy Spirit does. It is generally accepted that the last of the four Gospels to be written was John's Gospel, and that it was written considerably later than the other three. And yet years after the events of the week before Easter, John remembers a detailed conversation he and his friends had with Jesus. How on earth did he do that? Because the Holy Spirit comes alongside by bringing back to John's memory the things that he heard and saw Jesus say and do. And not only so, but every time that memory works and every time he sees that scene or hears that voice, there is a fresh revelation that comes with it. Something new of Jesus, of who he is or what he does is revealed to him. And in memory and fresh revelation, the Holy Spirit comes alongside him. The Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, is the spirit of truth. And we have a tendency to associate his work of strengthening, therefore, with a better understanding of the Scriptures. So when the Holy Spirit comes alongside, what does he do to strengthen us? He helps us understand the Bible better. And of course he does. And of course that is a part of the work that he is involved in. But it is not the ultimate purpose of the Holy Spirit's being alongside. William Temple says this in his commentary. Those who follow truth without finding it incarnate in the historical Jesus of Nazareth, cannot claim to be led by that spirit to whom reference is made here. See, it turns out that the truth the spirit reminds us of and reveals to us afresh is Jesus Christ himself.
not just the words of a book, but the life and reality of Jesus Christ. He reveals and brings to memory who Jesus is and what Jesus does. So how does that strengthen us or help us? Well, it turns out, according to Jesus, that to live a consistent Christian life, we need to grow in our love for Jesus. That's how it works. If you really love me, John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, you will keep the commandments I have given you. If you really love me, love is the key to obedience and consistent Christian living. And the work of the Holy Spirit in reminding and revealing is designed to deepen our love for the one he reveals. That's how it works. As Matt Redmond puts it in the bridge to his song, it's from one of his earlier albums, the song is called The More We See. The bridge goes like this. And the more we see, we sing, holy is the name of the Lord. And the more we see, we sing, there is no one like you, God. Your majesty surrounds us. Your mercy, Lord, has found us. There is no one like you, God. The more we see, the more we love him. And this is what church is for. Because church is the place where the Holy Spirit, the helper, is beside us. There are promises that attach to this activity, not to this building or any other building. But there are promises that attach to this activity concerning the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. And so it is in this place when we gather to do these things that he is here alongside us right now. Calling to mind memories. Bringing fresh revelation of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And as that happens, he diverts our gaze to look at this one person. And as we look at him, we see the incredible beauty of his life and we love him more. I was standing in the coffee bar at our 9.30 worship this morning. I was standing behind the sound desk. I have no idea why I was there, um, except that my son, that one, said, uh, could you just give me authority to twiddle three buttons, which I more or less managed to do at the correct point in time. I'm not quite sure what function they actually performed, but I did what I was told. And so I'm standing, looking at, terrified, looking at the sound desk, and I look across at the coffee bar, and as I look across the coffee bar, I see my daughter-in-law, Laura, standing there, and I hadn't noticed her before the service began. And then I look, and beside her is my son, Matthew, her husband, and I look at the two of them, and then suddenly I think, "Ah, where's Jude, their son? Their toddler, little boy. I look at the two and think, where's Jude? And as I look, Laura obviously realizes that this is the thought that is going through my mind. She doesn't move at all. But with her eyes, she diverts her eyes slightly to the right. And I follow her eyes. And there's my wife standing with Jude in her arms. What I thought was fast asleep apparently wasn't. He just cuddling into his nanny, as grandchildren tend to do. And there he was, as happy as Larry and his in his nanny's arms. And it was a beautiful thing to look at. And that's exactly what God the Holy Spirit does. It's like just the very movement of his eyes diverts our gaze from the text that is before us to see the person of Jesus and to see him the more we see. 
the more we sing, the more we love. The Holy Spirit is beside us. He is here when we gather. This is the chief purpose of this gathering. That as he inhabits this space, and as he comes alongside us, he diverts our gaze to Jesus in memory and fresh revelation. And we love what we see. And that love that develops in our hearts makes us more consistent in our Christian walk. He helps us by being beside us. But then he helps us by being within us. Something else is also happening right now. Throughout the history of the people of God, one great desire recurs. You see it over and over again from the Old Testament right through to the conclusion of the New. You see it, for example, on the day when Solomon finishes the temple that he built for the worship of the Old Testament people of God, the temple that David had gathered up all the various resources that were required to build it, that would be built at such fabulous expense, and when it was finished would be an absolutely incredible building. Standing in this building on the day that it was opened, praying to God, speaking for his people before the Lord, Solomon says, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot continue how much less this temple I have built. Right there and then, at the moment of the opening of this incredible structure, Solomon realizes this cannot contain God. He cannot live here. Not there will it happen. But happen, it will and, and through the years, the speculation and the sense of expectation amongst God's people grows. And prophetically, Ezekiel speaks about this in chapter 37 of his prophecy in verse 27, where he says this, speaking in, in the place of God, he says, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There will come a day when God will dwell on earth, but it won't be in this amazing temple in Jerusalem. It won't be in this building in Belfast. It will be in the hearts of his people. And Jesus says in John chapter 14 that at that moment, the ancient promise is coming to pass through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him, Jesus says, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you. There's the beside bit. And will be in you. There's the within bit. This is a moment of wonder. Of awe. Because Jesus shows himself to us. And this prompts a question from Judas. But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us? And not to the world? Why us? Why would he pick us of all the people to whom he might have shown who he really is? Why would he show us? Why would he show the church and not the world? Why would he not want the influential people in the world to know? Why would he not show himself to university professors and uh, public influencers and people with power and authority and wealth and whatever? Why would he not show them? Why would he show us? the greatest thing in all the universe that is to be known is not available to all those people, but only to those who trust in God. 
something even more amazing than that is here. Because Jesus goes on to say this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. This is John chapter 14. And the first six verses of John chapter 14 are amongst the most well-known verses of all of John's gospel. And we have a habit of drawing a huge amount of comfort from those verses. They are frequently read at funerals. I did a funeral last week. These verses were read by the grandchild of the deceased at the funeral. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And in those verses, we have this incredible promise of God. The wonderful idea that Jesus has gone to a place and he will prepare there somewhere for us that the Father's house has many rooms and that that Father's house will one day be our house too. It's a wonderful idea that God should play host to us. And from what we know of him, isn't that just exactly what we would expect of him to do? That he who built a universe so that we could inhabit this tiny planet, a, a minute speck in the midst of all the rest of the things that exist, that he should do all that to give us a place to call home. It makes sense that he would make his own home ours as well. But surely something even more remarkable is in this verse we just read. Not so much that he should play host to us, because that makes sense but that we should play host through the Holy Spirit to the Father and the Son. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Really? There aren't very many earthly experiences that touch on this, but one that maybe comes close, you know, is that experience when your parents come to stay with you. All right, you know, it. You grow up at home, your parents look after you, you know, you live in that space. Eventually you grow up, you move out, you know, you get a place of your own. Maybe you end up with a family of your own. But in your own house, nothing ever changes. You know, your room is sacrosanct. If you were to go back now, probably everything's just the way it was the day you left. Your university stuff, it's still all there. Your old clothes that you never want to wear again, even pairs of football boots that you wouldn't even look at. They're still there, but you left them the day you moved out. You know, that's your parents' home. And you're used to going back there and being received there. Now you bring your wife, your husband, your children with you, and they share the joy of that home. But then someday your parents come to stay with you. And it's a bit weird, you know, at the start, because it's a complete role reversal. They become the guests, you become the host. How does that work out? Some of you will know the last five years of my father-in-law's life were spent in our home. He moved in and he stayed with us. And Christy and I always used to wonder at times, you know, what was that like for him to have to give up his own space, his own independence, to have to move from the place where all his family and all his friends were to live with us. Our house never cooled from morning to night. Children were in and out of it, bringing their friends in and out of it. It was nonstop. You know, it was always a debate and, and a discussion about who got to watch what on the television and so on. And my father-in-law fighting with Matthew over the support of Manchester United, or not, as the case may be. And all of that, and we, Christy and I often wondered, what on earth was it like for him to give that up to come to live with us? And towards the end of his life, he was in the hospital. I happened to be in the ward one day when the doctor came in and was talking to him and asking him about his situation. And we were talking, and he 
in conversation, Bobby said, well, where have you been? He said, well, for the last five years of my life, I, I've, lived with, I've lived with my daughter and, and son-in-law. And the doctor said, oh, right. And I'm probably thinking to himself, well, I wonder what that was like. And my father-in-law said to him, the best five years of my life. And this is kind of what Jesus is saying here about what is happening between us and God. That somehow or another, the one who really should make a place for us is actually asking us to make a place for him. That our hearts, our lives, who we are, what we can do and achieve become the dwelling place of the Father and the Son through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Total role reversal. God houses himself in us. What could not happen in the ornate beauty of the temple Solomon built is happening here and now in the lives of those whose hearts the Holy Spirit inhabits. You have been beside him. Every time you sat in an act of worship, in wherever that was, you have been beside him. Now he seeks to be within. And that incoming strengthens us. It strengthens us because we are more than just one. Because the Father and the Son are with us now by the Holy Spirit. And so that naturally strengthens you. My mother-in-law used to have an expression, if somebody was diving about, you know, doing something really fast, and she had observed this person, she would say that he went past me like two men, the wee fella. I'm not exactly sure what the meaning of that is, but what I think it probably means is that, that they were going as if they had the strength of two men, the wee fella. So they were like more than one, you know, and that, that's what is happening here. So our lives become the dwelling place of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So there's more than one of us now. But also because what we lack, he supplies when I go out to ride my bike, I take a, a, a water bottle and into the water I put a tablet and that tablet puts into the water various salts and minerals and other things that I burn to enable me to ride. And as I ride, I drink from the water. And as I drink from the water, it replaces in me what I have been using. It enables me to keep going. And when God the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, bringing the Father and the Son along with him, one of the metaphors that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit is what? He called him living water. What we burn to enable us to follow and serve the Savior that we have come to love is replaced in us by the living water of the Spirit who comes into our hearts. He is beside us, strengthens us by being there. And he was within us, strengthening us by the presence of the Father and the Spirit and the life-giving power that he brings. You will have experienced the Holy Spirit beside you. I don't know if you have experienced him within you. I do know that it is possible to experience him over and over again. And I, I do know from my own experience and from watching it in others that sometimes you need a moment and an opportunity just to receive him afresh. 
In a minute or two, the guys are going to come and lead us in a song. And it's a song about the Holy Spirit. And I just love you to listen to it as they sing it. You might know it. You might quietly want to sing along with it. The words will come up on screen. But I'd like you to listen to what they're doing. And then after that, I'm going to come back up here. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the song. I'm going to invite you to do something, which is that I'm going to invite you to stand if you would like to receive the Holy Spirit in some new way, filling you, renewing you, maybe for the very first time in your life, maybe for the 31st, 41st, 151st time in your life. But you would like to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'm going to pray for you and invite the Holy Spirit to come. A number of years ago, five of us from our church went to an Alpha conference in Glasgow. Two of the others who went that day are here. And uh, we had been running the Alpha course for three years and then decided it would be a good idea to go and find out how to run the Alpha course. So uh, we went to a conference to find out how to do it. And we were there and we went to a Baptist church in Edinburgh, loads of other people. And this guy called Nicky, or this guy called Sandy Miller, I'd never heard of before, spoke that morning at the conference. It was an incredible moment for all five of us. And at the end of it, he invited anybody, especially those who were ministers or main church leaders, to come forward to the front for prayer. And I was absolutely determined I was not going to the front for prayer. But it is true to this day, I cannot explain it, I found myself at the front of the church and I do do not remember going from where I was sitting to that position. Somebody prayed for me and God God the Holy Spirit touched my life in a way that I had never experienced before. By that stage, I've been a Christian for a very long time and a Christian minister for an equally very long time. But there were some things about the Holy Spirit I didn't know, some things about the Holy Spirit I hadn't experienced until that moment. And that might be you, I don't know. But I want to give you the opportunity, if you would like to have it, that this helper who has come alongside might also come into your heart and fill that heart, renew your life, and become that helper who brings the Father and the Son with him to strengthen and renew you. So we're going to listen to this song, and then after the song, I'm going to do the response prayer. And if you would like to receive the Spirit, I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'm going to pray for you then. So just listen to the song.